to fly in his giftings. You know, I've had to sit back in the wings a little bit, look after the children, but it's been amazing to see where Chad's gone and so I'm going to let him mostly speak this morning. But um, you'll find everything else in my book, She Qualifies Him. thought my book was hardcover. That was very hard. I, I now know how Daniel feels. How do you follow that, mate? <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Be like, Rob, Bonnie, would you come? <laughs> Take one another's hands across the aisles. It, it buys me at least another 30 seconds to work out what to do next. <laughs> yeah. True. Anyway, g'day. Like Daniel, I'm also multilingual. I speak Australian and English. Bit of American. But, but I realise we're being translated, so I'll try to stick, stick to the English today. You, you can understand me, okay? This, this, is a, yeah? this is a real tough gig to do this because, you know, yeah... Because I've, I've, I mean, it's nice to speak at other conferences. I've done a few this year where I've been the keynote speaker. And, and you know, you have, Christchurch is awesome. Um, but the Philippines was also awesome. And, um, and uh, what happens, obviously, when I go to a conference, is you've got an hour. And you might, I might have two, three, or four sessions. So you can always make up for it in the next session. And to be asked to do something like this where you've only got half an hour, you've got one shot. I understood. <laughs> it's a bit like I just look at what I've got to go, what do I do? It's complaining. This is, I haven't even started my watch either. This is not in the time. But, but I identify, I could identify with a lot of the ladies who, who, some of you know who I'm talking about, you find yourself going out on a big night out and you stand in front of your wardrobe and it's full of clothes and yet you look there and you say, I've got nothing to wear. And so, I felt a little bit like that. I'm going to ask you to, I hope the garment I brought is helpful. Turn to Romans chapter 1, let's kick it, and uh, we're going to do well. I'm going to, I don't, know, I don't exactly know how we're going to go, because I, I, I am going to be faithful to our time, but we, uh, what I'm hoping to do is to share, um, spend the first maybe five, ten minutes, spending, uh, sharing a concept, a thought, an idea that uh, some of you are going to find incredibly valuable. And, uh, and then I'm going to uh, hopefully, see how we go, uh, outwork that into some practical ways. So as is my custom, I will read scripture, I will set a concept, and I'll finish with three points. And, um, and then that's, that's how we go. That's just how it works. So for some of you, the, this concept is going to be, some of you learn conceptually, all right, and some of you learn practically and hands-on. So I'm hoping that both of those are, are met somehow today. 
Dad, you are absolutely awesome, and today's been brilliant. We thank you so much, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you teach us, and you lead us and guide us into all truth, and we submit our hearts to you and say, Lord, speak to us. Your servants are listening. We are here, and uh, we want to be all that you've created us to be, as Jay just said before, so we submit our hearts to you as, as best we know how in Jesus' name. Amen. And what Peter was sharing before about sleeping, we just forget that word for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> And we actively stay awake while Chad is speaking. Amen. (laughs) Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. I'm going to do the NIV because that's what we've got here on the screen. Romans 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Uh, Many of us understand the concept of being set apart for God's plans, set apart for God's will, set apart for God's glory. How many of you believe from the last couple of sessions? We understand we are set apart for the gospel. We are set apart for the gospel. The good news that the person of Jesus makes it possible for all people to participate in the presence of God and in the provision of God, both now and for all eternity. The gospel is good news. And we have been set apart for the gospel. And like Paul, we are to call ourselves servants. I often wondered, how do I marry the, the, the truth of Jesus when he spoke to his friends? And he said, listen, I no longer call you servants, uh, but I call you friends. And yet Paul consistently refers to himself as a servant. How do I marry that? How can I say something, uh, Jesus doesn't call me a servant, but Paul calls himself a servant. How do I reconcile that? And I thought, you know what? Jesus doesn't call us a servant because he leaves that privilege to us. It's actually our job. That's what a doulos is. It's a willing servant. It's someone who's been set free, who's not a servant, but goes back to the master and says, I choose to be a servant. I call myself a servant. And Paul often calls himself a servant let's keep going verse 2 this is the gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures and it is all about his son who as to his human nature was a descendant of david but who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of god by his resurrection from the dead his name is jesus christ our lord through him and for his name's sake We received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the nations to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Say, I belong to Jesus Christ. Come on, my church belongs to Jesus Christ, my city belongs to Jesus Christ, my ethnos belongs to Jesus Christ. All people are called to belong to Him, not to belong to ourselves, but to belong to Him. It is an amazing sense of security that it uh, comes to us when we understand we are God's possession. Because when you own something, it's your job to look after it. So if God owns me, it's His job to look after me. Come on, how how much more security do I need? And when I understand the price that he paid to have me as his own, I was not my own. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. The price tag that you have on you is the very life of Jesus. God looked at the humanity and said, they are worth paying the very blood of my son for. 
Come on. When I understand I belong to God, what a sense of security that brings me. And when I understand the price tag, talking too fast, that he put on me, I understand my significance. My significance does not come from what I do, from where I've been born, from my gifts, talents, or abilities. My significance comes from the fact that the eternal God thought I was worth dying for to have me as his own, and he bought me with his own blood. That's how significant I am. Come on. To all in Rome, verse 7. I like this one. That was good too, but yeah. Verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God. And called to be saints. Isn't that an incredible way to describe the church? My name's Chad. And I'm loved by God. We want to be grounded in our identity. I'm loved of God. And I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, in almost every one of Paul's uh, letters, uh, just picking up on what Jay said before, the identities that he speaks over the church are many and varied, and most of us who are preachers have done series on uh, who God, what God calls us, what our identity is in Christ. But in almost every one of his letters, the three that we see come up over and over again are saints, servants, and sons. He says in this verse, you are, or the one before, you are called saints. By the sanctifying work of Holy Spirit, we are declared and made holy. Come on. We're not just legally holy. We are literally holy because we are new creations in Christ. Come on. So we are holy. We are saints. Because Jesus is Lord, we are servants. And because God is our Father, we are His sons. We are saints, we are servants, and we are sons. And it is one area of those identities I want to focus on in my seed today. And I'm going to hint at it and then uh, mention it proper in about three minutes' time. I want to speak about delighting in duty. I want to speak about a delightful duty. Let's keep reading. Yeah, I need you to translate for me. What's that in, in Dutch? No. First verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of, his, of my son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you. Just listen up. Paul had not been to this church before, but he was really keen to get there. And I want you to see why he was keen to get to them. Why, why, what made him so eager to be with this group of people? Verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you a spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, actually, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. 
Two main reasons Paul wanted to come to this group of people. Number one, he felt he had something to bring to them and there would be mutual encouragement and mutual exchange. Another reason he wanted to be with them is because he anticipated a harvest of fruitfulness in preaching the gospel. He went there understanding that everywhere he went, the harvest would come and fruitfulness would come. His faith was out for that. But there was another reason that drove Paul to want to be with this church and to travel halfway across the world to get to them. And it might surprise you what it is. Next verse. Verse 14. I am obligated. Both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, and that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Why are you so eager, Paul, to risk your life? to travel to a foreign nation? Why are you so eager to pay the price to get to a group of people whom you have never met? Because I'm obligated to. Interesting thing is that for those of you who have a more literal translation, uh, it doesn't say I'm obligated. That's like a verb. It actually uses a noun. And that's the more accurate in the Greek. Paul literally says this of himself. He doesn't say I'm obligated. He literally says I am am debtor I am a debtor how many of us as we've taught our churches about the importance of their identity and pronouncing your identity over yourself I am washed in the blood I'm sanctified I'm beloved of God I'm more than a conqueror you know I'm a saint I'm a servant I'm a son I am a debtor It's not on the list, is it? It's just not there. How many of you have got, ever got up and announced the awesome good news of being a debtor? It doesn't make sense. How can Paul say this of himself and in all the letters, the book of Romans? You pick up any book on grace and it is this book, Romans, that is quoted over and over and over and over again. It is essentially the book of Romans that caused us, the Protestants, Protestants, to understand grace in the first place. It was Romans that opened up Martin Luther's eyes. It's Romans that shows us the gospel of, of God's grace, justification, glorification, uh, reconciliation. Come on, the fact that all our debts have been cancelled, all our debts have been cancelled, and Paul says, I'm a debtor. <laughs> It's the same word that Jesus uses, or Jesus didn't speak Greek, but anyway, in the book of Matthew, where a king in Matthew 18 gathers all his debtors to him and he cancels their debts. And, and Jesus said that's like an illustration of forgiveness. He gathers his debtors to him. It's the same word he uses in the prayer he taught the disciples, the precost disciples, when he said, give us this day our daily Bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We forgive people who owe us something, and Paul's saying, I'm one of them. I am a debtor. Come back next week, and Rob <laughs> will explain exactly how that works. Now, listen, he doesn't say, I'm in debt to God. He says, I am in debt to people. And what's very interesting to me is he says, I'm in debt to people whom I have never 
met. I want to come to you in Rome. I've never met you, never laid eyes on you. We're not even Facebook friends. And yet I'm coming to you because I'm your debtor. Now, how does that work? Ladies and gentlemen, I need someone to help me with an illustration here. So I'm going to ask my friend from Manila, Josel, to come and help me. Why don't you put your hands together for Josel? Please. Now get some... Um, oh, the cameras are out. Yeah. I mean, quite clearly, we are the two most handsome pastors in this room. So get your cameras out. This is just over here, Marlene. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Good. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Yep. Okay, very good. Yes. Okay. People think you were at a model show. Those... Um, okay, now, Giselle, I have a very... I have a question for you. If you as you look around this room today, um, is there anyone here whom you personally owe money to? Don't look at your wife. <laughs> Besides Mylene, is there anyone you owe money to? Nope. Okay. You are not in debt to anyone in this room? Nope. Okay. I just need to be 100% sure. Okay. Um, Heather on the screen is doing the verses for me. Have you met her before? Wave, Heather. Do you know Heather? No. No, you don't know Heather. Just to make sure, are you in debt to Heather? Do you owe Heather any money? Nope. Okay. Good news, Jocelle is debt-free. How many of you like that? That sounds like good news. Now, before you go, I just want to ask you to do a little favour for me. Okay. Do you mind doing a little favour? Okay. okay. I've got a hundred bucks here, hundred dollars, and um, for Heather helping me out on the scriptures today, I wanted to bless her with that and give that to her, but she's too far away for me to get to. So, could you go and give that to her for me, please? Sure. That's, That's okay. Yeah. Great. Off you go. Hands together for Jocelle. Thank you. Okay. Now, oh, stop, 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 stop. I forgot something. Come back. The whole point of the illustration. This is Josel. Josel, I want to ask you a question. As you look around this room today, is there anybody here whom you owe money to? Yes. <laughs> Let me be very specific. See that lady up there on the computer? Yeah. Her name's Heather. Uh-huh. Have you ever met her before? Not yet. Not yet. Do you owe, happen to owe her any money? Yes. So you're telling me you are under obligation to pay her money? Yes. You're in debt to her? No, yes. How, how much money do you owe her? $100. A minute ago, Josel owed no one in here anything. But now he does. He is in debt to Heather. He is under obligation to pay her... $100. And that $100 is not his money. He is not in debt to Heather. He does not have to pay Heather his money. He is in debt under obligation to give her my money. Okay? He's under obligation. He is a debtor to Heather who he's never met. And he doesn't owe her his money. He owes her my money. Josel has become a steward. A steward, come on, a steward 
is one who handles the property of another and who has the responsibility and the authority to handle that property in a way that the owner deems most appropriate. That is what stewardship is. Stewardship is having something in your possession that is not your possession. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that again for the Cantonese. <laughs> English people, they probably need to hear it a few times. Stewardship is having something in your possession that is not your possession. And so for Giselle to be a faithful steward, he would have to take my possession and place it where I asked him to. If he would not take that to where I asked him to, he would not be a faithful steward because that is not his to do with what he wants. That is mine or, in essence, it's actually Heather's and his job as a steward is to be faithful and take it to where the master has asked him. Does that make sense? How many of you believe Joselle will be a faithful steward today? Thank you. Put your hands together for my friend. Bless you, Heather. Listen, Paul says, I'm coming to Rome. And one of the reasons I'm eager to preach the gospel to you is because I'm obligated to. I'm a debtor. I have something in my possession that's not mine. Paul had the gospel. And the gospel was not just his. God had given it to him for others. God had graced him with apostleship. And that apostleship wasn't for him. To have the biggest website and the biggest following and the biggest church, that apostleship was put on him for the sake of other people. And so he says, this is what drives me. Yes, I want to harvest amongst you. I want us to be mutually encouraged. But I'm also coming to you because I'm in debt to you. I have something that's not mine. It's yours. And I need to come to you to give you what belongs to you. The gospel is not ours only. It belongs to others. Come on. Come on. Oh. And so when, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, this is how you should regard us. One of the ways. We have many identities, but this is one of them. It doesn't explain the whole Christian life, but it's one identity. This is how people should regard us, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. These men and women that have shared here today, and, and will do so over the next couple of days, they are stewarding something God has given them for other people. And we are the, we are the beneficiaries of that. What we do as preachers and teachers is we take the mysteries of God, the things that God has shown us, and we understand they're not just for me. They're not just to tickle my fancy. Those things are given to me for others. I am a steward. I've been entrusted with something that's not actually mine. And my role is to be faithful as a steward and give it to Heather or wherever God tells me to take it. That's the concept. Three practical areas and then we're done. Three big areas of stewardship that I think we need to help people walk in and understand. First of all, we need to understand the importance of stewarding our temple. Our body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I quoted it in part before. At the end, the whole of chapter 6 and 7 is essentially is about the body, particularly sexuality. But Paul mentions there in chapter 6, he said, The body is meant for the Lord. Your body belongs to God. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
It doesn't only mean the Holy Spirit's in the temple. It means he owns the thing. All right? It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. All right? And he says, listen, you are not your own. You were bought at a... Therefore, honor God with your body, which isn't actually my body. It's his body. (laughs) Honor God with what is given you. Honor God with your body. All of us, if you've been leading people involved in the pastoral care of people for any period of time, we see what happens in this one area of chapter 6 and 7 of Corinthians with sexuality. That's the specific context. How when people do not steward their sexuality well, it causes a whole bunch of problems. Come on. The other area of our body that is so important, the Bible speaks a lot about stewarding well, is our speech. Stewarding our speech, stewarding our sexuality and stewarding our speech. And our job is to help people understand those things and how to steward those well. Come on. Because our sexuality and our speech are gifts of God and they are powerful. And because they are powerful, they have the power to bring blessing, but they also have the power to cause harm. People's sexuality can be of great help to them. Or it can cause great harm, and it all depends how you handle it. One of the the first times I ever heard God speak to me was when I was 14, and God spoke to me about sex. How else do you get a 14-year-old's attention? (laughs) But I was. I was out on a football oval, and I was praying because I had this Two conflicted points of view about sex in my life. I grew up in a family, a Christian family, and I had this idea that that, that Christians, the only people had sex when they were married. That's sort of what I I grew up with. I I didn't even know until I was 12 or 13 that people had sex outside of marriage. That's how it took me that long to sort of work out that even happened, you know. And, And then once I went to high school, my education about sex was very different. And so I had it out with God one day. I said, listen, I don't quite understand. My friends, 14, 15, they're starting to get active and enjoying this thing. I don't understand this whole thing about with not uh, having sex until I'm married. I don't get it. I'm not married yet. And God spoke to me, 14 years of age. And he said, Chad, do you believe in destiny? Oh, well, that's not a word I'd ever use. So I said, Yes. And he said, well, then you believe I predestined a wife for you. And in the realm of eternity, even though you don't have a ring on your finger yet, I already see you as married to somebody. And so if you were to start sleeping around now, you would be cheating on your wife. 1 Corinthians 7 says, your temple does not belong to you if you're married. Or if you're going to one day get married, it belongs to somebody else. And it was that lesson in stewardship that has been one of the great best decisions we've ever made in our courting and married life. I tell people often, you know, we were virgins the day we got married and the way things went on our wedding night, I think we're still virgins the next day as well. We worked it out, don't worry. That's why you need a good honeymoon period, just to work it all out. Listen, we need to teach people, 
when, when the Corinthians are sleeping around with temple prostitutes, Paul does not say to them, the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not commit adultery. What he says to them is your identity. He says, you are united with Christ. Sex is powerful. Don't mess around with it. Your body does not belong to you. Your sexuality does not belong to you. You are a steward of something that belongs to another. It belongs to a wife or a husband and ultimately it belongs to God because your sexuality is to honour Him and demonstrate something in the relationship with Christ and His church. I'm speaking too fast. The point is... (laughs) Suddenly I want to get back to my hotel room. The... The point is, need to do one of them. The point is, shush, shush, shush. We have a job. Hey, you got, you're eating into my time. Leave me alone. We have a responsibility to teach people how to steward their sexuality to teach people how to steward their speech. Because sexuality and speech in our temple is just one but a very powerful area that we need to steward well. The second major area besides stewarding our temple, God has called us to steward our treasures. Not every dollar that you have in your possession is your possession. Money's not as funny, is it? Listen, it's interesting. Shh, having too much fun. Listen, the language, the language of the New Testament scripture when it comes to money, this might surprise some of you, and it flies in the face of some bold statements made about grace and giving. Bear with me. Some of the, lang- the language used when it comes to financial generosity or financial stewardship, it involves language in the New Testament, such as right. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, I have a right to support from you. Now, if he has a right to receive, does that not imply that they have a duty to give? Paul, on a number of occasions, 1 Timothy and also there in 1 Corinthians 9, quotes Jesus when he says the worker deserves his wages. He also quotes Deuteronomy where it says do not muzzle an ox. And this is a command. The Lord has commanded. This is strong language. When Paul, at the end of Romans, you can look in chapter 15, get this. And he says, listen, this gift of finance that we're bringing from the Acacia churches that were taking to Jerusalem, he said, you know one of the reasons they're giving this finance to Jerusalem people? Because they're in debt to them. He actually says the same word, debtor. He says the Gentiles are the debtors because they've shared in the spiritual blessing of the Jews. So these guys are debtors. They owe it to them to share their material blessings. Now listen, you draw whatever conclusions you want. The point is... The language of these words, entitlement, duty, owe, debt, obligation, when it comes to finances, these aren't legalistic words. They're stewardship words. When we understand, 
that not everything in our possession is our possession. And whether you believe and you want to teach that the principle or the practice of first fruits, first harvests, and one-tenth, whether that continues to belong to the Lord and not to me, or whether you believe and you teach that of all my income that comes, I pray and ask God specifically, Father, what in this does not belong to me? I don't care, whatever, it's your business. But the point is this, the language of stewardship applies to our finances. And we have an obligation to teach our people free will giving and stewardship are not opposite, are not, do not count about, they're not opposing truths okay because to the the corinthians when paul writes about that gift going to jerusalem he says give it what is in your heart and yet when he says to the romans he says they gave because they owe it to them so both are true it's not as funny as money as sex but anyway that's point number two like it or not there you go stewarding our treasure And we need to teach our people that money is a trust. Money is a tool because it can affect eternity. And money is a test, a test of the priorities of our hearts. And as Glenda said before, we're faithful with little, we're entrusted with much. Money is a trust, money is a tool, money is our test. We are to steward our temple, we are to steward our treasure. Lastly, we are to steward our talent and steward our testimony. 1 Peter 4 said, each man, woman, should use whatever gift he has received. Who mentioned this before? Might have been Sarah. Use whatever gifts and talents you've received to faithfully serve others, manifesting the grace of God in its various forms. To be faithful stewards of the gifts and talents that God has given you. God's gifts and God's grace to you is not just for you, it is for others. And God has gifted us with different talents, skills, abilities, experiences, revelation, insight, yeah, understandings that other people do not have. You've heard stuff today that you would never have come up with on your own. And that's the way God wants it. Because God wants us to be part of a multifaceted community. God does not give one man the whole spectrum of truth, okay? Rob does not know everything. Glenda might, but Rob doesn't. God gives, no listen, no teacher knows everything. God gives, is a multifaceted community to display the multifaceted wisdom of God. And those facets need to come alive. God has given us stuff for others. I get invited to preach around the place. My Philippine friends have heard me preach the same message over and over again because they want me to travel to provinces and preach the three covenants talk I do. Sometimes I get really bored of it. Because I've preached it so many times. And yet I understand that message is not for me. That message has been entrusted to me. And I need to go and give it to others. Yeah? We have stuff that other people need. And as leaders, part of our role is to help people identify those talents and encourage them to use them. And so Paul says, listen, you should consider us as servants. We are those who are stewards entrusted with the mysteries of God. And I hope today that we have received seeds from other people because these men and women that have shared today have been faithful. And I trust we would be faithful in stewarding the seeds of greatness that God has given you. You may not have taken the microphone today. That doesn't matter. God has given you seeds of greatness. And somewhere over this weekend and somewhere for the rest of your life, your role is to steward those seeds in a way that honors our King. Because you are a saint. You are holy. You're a son. You're accepted. And you're a servant that says, I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. Take what 
he's given you and take it to the world. 30 minutes, done. you just pray over us a release of that grace stewardship just hold hands across the aisles <laughs> bonnie <laughs> okay put just put your hand on your heart wherever you think that is Well, some people think your spirit's down here. I'm, I'm, happy. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Um, okay, Let, let's just get ready to listen, okay? Shh, shh, shh. Um, I'm serious! Holy Spirit, what has the Master given to me? What has the Master entrusted to me that is not mine? What has the Master given to me, put into my hands, that does not belong to me, but belongs to others? Father, today I say I will be faithful with that which belongs to another. And Rob opened up last night and he spoke about the church, where we're being like eunuchs who look after another man's bride. That church that I lead is not mine, it belongs to you. And I will be faithful in stewarding it. Oh, that calling you've given me is not mine. It is a mantle from you and I'll be faithful in operating in it. We prayed for evangelists before. And I feel like there's prophetic people. God's put a prophetic mantle on you and you haven't been faithful because you've, you've tried in the past. People have shut you down, maybe because of your gender or your ethnicity or other reasons. That mantle has not disappeared. Be faithful with that prophetic mantle. God has called you to prophesy. Be faithful with that because it's not yours. You have words for other people. Oh, Father, we say we will be faithful with that which you've given us. And we will hear those words one day.